Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. In life as well, I don't start, I very rarely do I start a day where I don't have a blueprint of what my day is going to look like. The day may go to crap, but I, I can tell you at 6.30 in the morning, I have a pretty good idea of what it should look like. I have a pretty good idea of the key things I need to get done. And I would say I don't start a week where on Sunday I haven't sat down and blueprinted what need to get done each day. What are the key that what, what, what has to get done this week? Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 103. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Castrina. Sean is the founder of The Weekend MBA. He's a serial entrepreneur, having started more than 20 companies over the last 20 years, and still seeks to launch a new venture annually. He's the author of four best-selling business books and hosts one of the most popular business podcasts on the planet, the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. Sean, so glad to have you on the show today. It's great to be on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. So let's jump right in. Tell us about the Weekend MBA. What is it? Who does it serve? Yeah, you know, we started it last year. We, we hope to continue it. It was one of those miracle lifts <laughs> where you have to evaluate, golly, can I, it was like trying to have, you know, one-eyed leprechauns come to a birthday party. But it was it was amazing. You know, I, I always wanted to do an event that was less hype, not selling something every time a speaker gets up and turning it into a carnival that was more education oriented. And, and we were able to do that down in Miami. And it was it was just a tremendous amount of fun. Hardest two days of my entire life, uh, you know, the most stressful two days. But it was great to just be able to share with people like what does it really take to start a business you know how what does a PL statement look like what does a business plan look like how do you sell your company should you franchise your company we really got into all the granular stuff to where most events we know are nothing but marketing and sales mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there, there's more to be you know i appreciate marketing and sales that's a critical component no question but as a person who's been you know doing businesses for over 25 years there's quite a few other components that people need to know and is that the focus of your podcast as well? The podcast is all things entrepreneurship. So, you know, I, I think the, you know, entrepreneurship next to faith is just one of the great, you know, one of the great things that has helped mankind. I mean, every great change typically comes through entrepreneurship. You know, we're constantly improving. You know, somebody thought a railroad was great and somebody said, hey, let maybe a plane would be the Wright brothers. Maybe a plane would be better. And somebody thought maybe a rocket would be better. And it just keeps going and going. And, and typically it's entrepreneurs, you know, that they come up with these ideas and, and, and if all, you know, things just keep getting better and better because somebody knows they can monetize it. You know, there's a great incentive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And so I'm just curious to know, because, you know, in the bio, I read that you've got 20 years, 20 businesses, always looking to add more. You know, my mindset is focus on a couple, get really good at it, kind of build out from there. And you're just layering on, it seems, one after another. What does it really mean practically? And yeah. Why, why is that your objective? Yeah. I mean, if you look at Amazon, for an example, okay, they start out, their number one thing they did is they sold books. Why? Because books has, there's more product lines in books than any other thing, more SKUs. Than any, than any single product line would be books. There's more individual books than any product on the planet. Mm-hmm. So if you can get that one solved, 
you can do what they do now. Like that, that was the big domino. But if you look at Amazon, I mean, they have cloud services. They have, you know, you know, they're dry. They look at what they're selling. Everybody's product, mm-hmm. like everybody's product. So they keep going deeper and deeper. They got prime, you know, Amazon prime. Then they've got the video services. So why, why does maybe the most potentially the most successful company in the world right now keep adding things? Because they can, they have a target audience that will buy from them or, and they have technology cloud services that people need. So they're always looking for another tangible, you know, it's still Amazon, but, but they're always, you know, going down further. An example that would be like Chick-fil-A. Okay. You know, they, they figured out, they, you know, everybody ate in a store. They figured out these, you know, drive-through lines, like nobody, you know, they have, I guarantee you they've doubled revenue since what they've done with with their drive-through lines over the last two years during the pandemic where they've built overhead you know where you can you know you don't get rained on it's got heaters they got four people working outside they're running more people through the drive-through than they did in their regular restaurant two years ago i missed that because i was ahead of school down in atlanta the chick-fil-a is very you know yeah that's it yeah and they, they didn't have that back when i was there that's about 10 years already yeah like two now mine it's literally they're running like I, I, no exaggeration. There's 20 cars in the drive-through lines, and they're running through them in under like five minutes. It, they're running. They, they don't even need to serve you inside right now. They're pandemic-proof mm. because of what they've done last year. So I, I just think it's the idea that okay, what do you, who's your target market? What tech? What technology and or innovation can you continue to make to keep making your customers satisfied? And typically, if you have that as that mindset, you're going to grow. If not, you tend to have one thing. You hold on to it for dear life, like the person holding the steering wheel with white knuckles. Yeah. And then what happens if that, you know, things change like a Sears, a JCPenney? It's an example of holding on way too long. And not making any innovations when everybody when How did they not see Amazon come along? Yeah, there's so many examples like that. Yeah, it's fascinating. So let me ask you this. Did you start from entrepreneurship on out or did you start from, in other words, were you doing businesses and then teaching people how to do it or was that your core and you kind of built out? I went to college thinking I'd get a normal job and just work my way up and be a CEO. You know, I have that type of personality where I'm like, okay, tell me where I start. Show me the finish line. How do I get there? And then, uh, you know, they did a leadership change, something you never, ever want to hear unless you're in a car with somebody is we're getting ready to make a change. You know, we're getting ready to make a change in direction. You never want to hear that occupationally. And so I I realized then that you're you're, what we once thought as a career, you kind of get a job, keep it for 10, 15, maybe 20 years and stay at one place. I realized that that was a fantasy. So that w- that kind of got me going on. Maybe I should start my own company. But prior to then, my mid twenties never even crossed my mind. Like I had no, I, you know, I was in graduate school. I was totally going to go the employment route. And then when that happened, and I started a company, and I've rinsed and repeated for you know literally probably the last twenty seven years. So this whole piece on talking about entrepreneurship and teaching people about it. Is that what, what drives that part for you? Because for me, it, it, you know, I had this perfect blueprint of going to college, going to grad school and, and literally within 15 minutes of a conversation that all got cut and, you know, got crushed. And yet I could make a pivot, start a company, make more money than I ever imagined in my entire life, hire people 
have flexibility of schedule, give generously and, and could change, you know, literally my kids and probably the next hundred years of, of my family has been altered because I was able to take action on an idea, not a sexy idea, just a simple service company and, and keep building it out and starting other, you know, businesses. I, I just think that's extraordinary. So when I meet people that are excited about starting a business and I kind of know the mistakes that are very common that people make and I can keep them from making those mistakes. Or I could tell a person that, you know, your person, your, your, this is probably going to be a long shot for you, you know, based on, you know, what you're presenting to me, you know, I, I don't think that's a, that, that's a, that's a going to be a heavy lift. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea doesn't have a big enough market for it or whatever the case may be. So if you can save people that, that pain, or you can give them a better direction, yeah. Uh, you know, I always say, you know, I'd rather fix this way. Failure is best heard through a secondhand story and it's a hell of a lot cheaper. A lot so cheaper. if I can share with you my mistakes and maybe I can be helpful. A lot less painful. That's for sure. It's actually the motivation for me writing my first book, which is for new leaders becoming the new boss. And so I talk about that there, you know, trying to really save people a lot of time and angst in terms of what to focus on and how to build equity and how to really get some wind behind your sales. But it's interesting because something else that I know that you focus on is a key component of my next book, which is a productivity book. And I talk about the importance of planning. And I know that for you, you talk about how success or failure is really all in the planning. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, number one, if we just look at a business real quickly, it's amazing how people will start a business and put more planning into their next vacation. It just absolutely fascinates me where you, when you start, I, I, you go through just 10 quick questions and they have no answer to anything. Who's your competition? What's going to make you different? What's their pricing method? What are you going to price at? Who do you need to start the business? What do you need to start the business? How much is it going to cost to operate the business? Assuming no money comes in, you know, what's going to be your burn rate every day? How are you going to acquire customers? How are you going to sell customers? I mean, there's like, I just ran through eight questions. And when I do that with people, they look lost. You know, and I just ran that off the top of my head, like giving you my last name and social security number at a TSA check-in. So you got, there's just, there's a formula. And I think in life as well, I don't start, I very rarely do I start a day where I don't have a blueprint of what my day is going to look like. The day may go to crap. But I, I can tell you at 630 in the morning, I have a pretty good idea of what it should look like. I have a pretty good idea of the key things I need to get done. And I would say I don't start a week where on Sunday I haven't sat down and blueprinted what need to get done each day. What are the key that what, what, what has to get done this week? What will have a massive consequence if I don't get it done? And then what do I need to get done? Because it's a part of a project and or a goal. So, you know, I have my kind of system, you know, I have an old fashioned system that I use, but the idea is still the same. I, I, you know, I have a plan. I have a plan in my business and I have a plan in productivity. I know what every day should look like. And I know what every week should look like. And, and a combination of these make a great quarter of the year, make a great, you know, year. Yeah. And it really focuses you. And there's no question about it. When you have a good plan, you get more done and you get more of the right work done, which I, I, Absolutely. Absolutely. People just, you know, they, they achieve a lot, but it's 75% of what they're doing. Probably somebody else should be doing it. All right. Yeah. delegating, you know, just focus on those things that really matter for you and what you need, what you bring to the table. So I want to talk about something else, your superpower, 
which is identifying, recruiting, and retaining world-class talents. It's so interesting because uh, I run a mastermind group and we actually were just talking about this, right? How do you identify the right talent? And then of course, the other pieces that follow. So what is your, what's your method? Yeah. Number one is that you need to have a profile person that you know works within how you operate. Every one of us has maybe a personality type or they've had a, a, a history with a certain person that does well for you. Whatever that track record, whatever your track record looks like on that. To me, I like extremely, I like very smart people. Okay. Not intellectual. I don't care about that, but you can't fix stupid. You can't. I've tried. It doesn't work. Somebody who's fairly bright has the ability to do multiple jobs, multiple responsibilities. You just give them something. They're like, they're like an old Pac-Man. You can't give a person who's really bright with some energy. You can't give them too much to do. They just, you know, they're like an alligator. They just chew it all up. They take whatever's in front of them. So I like intelligent people with energy and, you know, good communication skills because you got to lead. You know, at the end, you got to lead. It's hard to lead if you don't have good communication skills and great capacity. They're not overwhelmed when, you know, when they get a lot to do. They typically can do more than one person's job. So my perfect person, you know, if I roll that back, bright, good communicator, leadership, you know, has leadership and has a tremendous capacity to do, do more than just one thing. You know, they have, again, I, I can, I can spread them thin and it doesn't overwhelm them. So I'm going to push back on that, Sean, only because yeah. I, you know, the question, not, not that I disagree with yeah. what you're saying, but I think a lot of us would agree that, wow, wouldn't that be a fantastic formula? To how do I find them? Yeah. How do you find, how do you know when yeah. to see it? What's your, yeah. what's your process? Never stop looking. I'm, I'm, I'm looking when I'm at the gym, I'm looking if I'm at a a networking lunch, I'm, if somebody takes me to a, a church function and I'm sitting there with 25 people and a guy says, Oh, I'm the vice president of such and such. And I talk and they look me in the eyes and they got a little bounce in their step. Then I follow that up with, Hey man, I'd love to take you to lunch here in the next couple of weeks. Just kind of hear a little bit more about what you do, take them to lunch and then I can get a feel for them. And then I leave something like this. Hey, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I never know when my next best idea is going to come, but they're always brewing. If I have one, I'd love to be able to have lunch with you again and share it with you and see if there might be a good fit there. I don't know if you've ever thought about, you know, being a partner and owning a company, but again, I'd love to run this by you. I've used a formula of that nature for 20 years and I have partners in all my companies and they're extraordinary. Like I'm, I'm humbled when I walk into a room of the level of the partners I have. And, and I've used something similar that my, I go to a kid's sporting event, you know, I'm at a soccer game and I, you know, I'm meeting the parents and I meet the one who's again, sharp. What do you do for a living? But, you know, and get a little bit of a feel. I'm just always, I never stop looking. I love that. I, I mean, I like the part you talked about before with the weekly planning and knowing where you want to be and what every day should look like. But this one, I think, resonates even more because I think so often um, recruitment and whatnot is a reactive process, right? So I yeah. have this void. I need to fill it. Uh, we're growing. And all of a sudden, there's this, you know, we're overwhelmed. And so I just start looking for people. But I think the proactive approach to this is is really, really important for everybody to consider. Of course, not just for, for onboarding your people, for new ideas, for everything, always be thinking about what you might need down the road about what's possible. And if you keep that sort of in front of you at all times, then you'll, you, you know, immediately when you're not even looking for it, you find it. I interviewed cons. I I run ads in almost like a four state 
and I, I do it where they can text me on my other phone. And I can, I've got it to where I can do a two minute interview over my phone. So simple. You know, a, you know, what are you currently doing? Where have you most recently worked? You know, what are the three things you do better than anybody? I don't need to have anybody look over your shoulder. I, I mean, I have like a little system that I do it, but I've been doing this religiously for years. I'm, I'm genuinely always looking. And, and, and the more the funny thing about it is in all my partners, and I've had more than 10 really high level business partners, I've only interviewed one through a typical interview process. The person kind of came in for a job, was happy to make $850 a week. I, I was like, this because kind of gives you how my mind works. And I, I said to him, I said, I would love to pay $850 a week, but I'd be stealing from you. I set up the next interview at my house. I wanted to give that oh my effect. You know, and the oh my effect is when you walk in and you see the Mercedes, the BMWs, the high ceilings, the blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I'd love to pay you $850 a week. But I'd be, again, I'd be stealing from you. I want to give you a chance to make real money. I'd love for you to be a partner in my company. I'd love to give you a percentage of what we make because I think we could really grow this. I, I, he makes so much money right now. I make my my CPA blocks out his payroll every week, his partnership, what he makes. Because it's it's like five or 6000 every week. I, I told her, I don't even want to see it anymore. Like I love seeing the big number he makes us, but I don't even want to see his individual one. There are weeks when it's higher than mine. And I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I'm so good with it. But, but it's that idea. So I interviewed a guy. Okay, I could have did the employee route. That was easy, 850. I could have plugged him in a second. He'd have moved on in three years. Somebody else would have hired him. But now he's a partner making a quarter of a million and more a year. And, and he'd take a bullet for me. So is that your process for retention, giving them ownership? Absolutely. I, my philosophy is I'd rather make 50% of a lot than 100% of a little. I love it. That's a great pull-out quote right there. Okay, so we talked about two-minute interview. I see behind you, you've got the 10-minute entrepreneur podcast. Yeah. You still like to work in small numbers. Where did yeah. the idea come from, the 10-minute piece? And what do you feel you can accomplish there that the longer conversations maybe would not would not lend themselves towards? Yeah. All my partners would tell you that I talk in short bursts. I don't sit down. I'm a pretty hyper person. They're like, Sean, you need to have a podcast that the partners can listen to that way we don't have to come in because I'm always giving advice, you know, guys, why don't you think about this? You know, like simple example, I'd say to my partners, listen, problems never go away. If you think that a, a problem's going to go away or the customer's going to go away, they never go away. They only go away unless you put that fire out. I promise you it will rear its ugly head. So I'll create a process. I'll be like, listen, when you know there's a problem, you need to reply to the customer within 24 hours. You need to be in front of the customer within 48. You need to solve it within five. If you can't solve it within five, completely extinguished, you need to involve me in it. Okay, that was a very quick formula. Okay. Acknowledge it within 24, eyes on it within 48, solve it within five. And if you can't get me involved, four set process cannot, I don't need four hours to talk about that. I don't need an hour and a half. So my podcast, my partners were like, you just need to do it. You need to do your thing. You need to do a short podcast the way you do it with us because you speak in 10, 15 minute chunks and you hit us with, you know, bricks. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, you, you, you're very condensed, you, you simplify it. And so we, you know, I started the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast and my philosophy was like, like the Ted talk, smartest people in the world are talking about the most deepest subjects in the world. Right. I mean, unbelievable subjects. They have 18 minutes. They have 18 minutes. So I'm figuring like if they can talk about, you know, nuclear fusion in 18 minutes, then I could probably get mine out. Fair enough. So, I mean, this has been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we're going to talk about your, your biggest, 
your biggest mistake, biggest challenge in a little bit. But there's another there's another piece to it. When I was first introduced to you, so the very first item that uh, let's call it a conversation point yeah. related to addiction, yeah, I'm a drug addict, and you know I would not have anticipated or assumed yeah. that having spent some time talking with you. Yeah. But but talk us through that. How did how did that happen? What was your process yeah. to sort of get to where you are today? Yeah, I, I was a division one wrestler, so I had a, <clears throat> I, I've been you know my body's been beat up, and I literally woke up in 2011, always working out, but I woke up in 2011 with back pain. I have no idea where it came. When I tell you, I literally woke up with it out of the blue. I went to everybody but a witch doctor. I went to acupuncture. The poor guy after four treatments said, I'm so sorry. Your will is too strong. I can't fix it. I went to laser therapy. I had every injection from sugar to cortisone to you name it. And then I had a pain doctor. And while you're doing all these things, they start you out with oxys. You know, let's start out with, you know, oxys. So my pain doctor started me out with oxys and did all these other injections over the year. I mean, a reputable pain doctor at my hospital. Like, you know, they always rent a facility at the hospital, makes them look really official. And I was up to 20 oxys a day, but didn't realize it. I don't listen. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't even drink coffee. But I be, I'm getting addicted to pain meds because my doctor's giving them to me. And because he's, these are prescriptions, I'm picking them up at CVS. I'm thinking, hey, I'm good to go. Everybody, this is what normal would take. Then he added fentanyl to that. And so I was on 75, 50 milligrams of fentanyl every three days. Then we moved that up to 75 milligrams of fentanyl every two days to the point where it would literally almost burn through my skin. So I'd have to move it around because it would like literally work its way, way through my skin. And then in 2018, he gets arrested. Shocking part of the story, right? So he gets arrested and, and I go to another pain doctor, think I'm just going to get another prescription. Like, you know, just like moving to another optometrist, op yeah. ophthalmologist. There we go for a new eye prescription. And I went in, I'll never forget the doctor looking at me and he knew who I was because I do TV commercials for my businesses. Okay. He goes, you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you, Sean. Nobody in the United States of America because this is during when Trump and everybody was talking about fentanyl. There's not a doctor in the world that will prescribe this to you. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I, I, he goes, we wouldn't give this much fentanyl to a person unless they were getting ready to die in the next five years of cancer. He goes, you know, you're 140, 145 pounds. He goes, you're, you're taking enough for an elephant. And he goes, listen, what I recommend is, is that we put you in, in treatment, like we, we got to get you in a drug treatment center. That's the only way you can quit this stuff. I mean, you're on like you're on 75 milligrams of fentanyl. That's equal to heroin, people. If you want to know, I mean, Google it. It's it's hair. It's basically very equal to heroin. So um, I, tells me that on like a Thursday, the next day I go to my doctor, my personal doctor, and I'm like figuring out why I became a drug addict. And just because he's been my doctor for 20 years, he he gives me one box of fentanyl. He says, like, get your affairs in order. This will last you one week. And I called my buddies from college and I'm like, hey, listen, we need to we need to meet at the beach. We need to get a house. We need to get a hotel. I, like, I got to quit drugs because I really don't have the time to go into a rehab center. And they're like, what are you talking about? I go, no, we're getting ready to, you know, do this thing. So all my buddies from college. They, they needed it as well or just to support you? Just to support me because I'm getting ready to go through hell and back. Because I, I can't even imagine going to rehab, sitting around in a circle and all that, and it'll take like two months. It's not how my brain works. 
So that was on a Friday on Saturday. I quit. I never did anything that Friday, went to my doctor. And then I looked at how many days I Googled, like how many days does it take to get off like heroin and, or, or fentanyl? And, and the big thing was like, if you could make it five days, you could like be over the hump. Oh, I've sucked weight with wrestling. So I knew I could go like two days without eating. So it wasn't like completely insane. Needless to say, I did the five days. I would have jumped off a bridge six times had I known how hard it would be, but I did it. And then I, I quit the whole thing about 10 days later, I was done. I never took anything again, went back to see my doctor for him to put me in rehab. And I walked in and he goes, uh, what do you think? And I go, well, here, listen, I quit. And um, he goes, well, what do you mean you quit? I said, no, I actually went away and quit and never did anything in the last 10 days. Uh, and he goes, Sean, I've never had anybody quit like either of those, like, like you quit two drugs completely because never in 20, I've been doing this for a long time. Nobody's ever quit like cold Turkey. Would you quit? I said, well, that's great. But I did. And I said, um, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, and that was the end of it. Wow. So what is this? Um, where's the language here? The, the prisoner of war mentality. I think that's, you know, again, being a division wrestler you know you know wrestling mma anything like that you have a little bit of a wire loose that you know you can push your body like i said i've gone a couple days without eating so the concept of going five days it it sounded horrible don't get me wrong it was it was it was hell but it wasn't like i i i felt like i could do it i i felt like going away to rehab for two months would be way worse i I would agree right not experienced enough to know yeah, for my for my comfortable chair, I could say that, but I've never experienced addiction. Yeah, it's horrible. I, I mean, know. you're you're freezing cold. You can't you can't sleep. Your everything in your body hurts. It's going. It's like going to hell. There's no doubt about it. But then when you get through it, you're like, hey man, I I can do you know, which I thought before that, but I you know I can I can take a punch. Yeah. So here's my last question for you in this segment. You talk about going from your dream job to bankrupt back to millionaire. And that kind of ties into a question I ask all of my guests, which is to talk about their biggest challenge, their biggest failure. Because so often, again, you know, I'm just listening to what you were talking about at the beginning, new business every year, iterations, new partners, everything sounds so fantastic. And it just seems like Sean was cut out for this. And, and who am I, the listener, to be able to relate to it and be able to take action around it? So when we sort of, you know, put a, put a, a pin to that balloon and, and, and expose the humanity of every successful person, the challenges as well, it gives us a chance to think beyond what we what we identify potentially as our own limiting beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I, number one is is that you know they never when you do these bios for podcast audience that are listening, they never allow us to list the ten massive screw ups we do. We just kind of we just kind of put the positives in there. In there, there's massive failures. I think the biggest thing you do is you get hubris pride you think you can do anything so you you'll do a couple businesses and then you're like oh i i need to start a restaurant or i need to start a retail store you tend to to drift out of your strike zone and your core competency and it's total arrogance and it's and it and and it's what crushes you and that's typically what happens understand your core competency everybody has a recipe like you look at all the, like the cooking shows, you know, they, they all kind of, and they have a lot of different shows on there, but what are they all about? Food. <laughs> you know, every show has one, you, know, you don't see them, you know, veering into another lane or HGTV. They know their lane. I, I, I would say is that you, typically successful people have a lane, know what you're really good at and, and try to stay within it. Some degree of synergy. If you go completely outside of it, 
that's where I found my biggest financial failures. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to pivot to, um, to the rapid fire, which are short, sort of punchy answers, but just a little bit of backstory. Um, literally a week or so ago, I was down in Virginia because I had a talk in Richmond. So we went as far down, as far south as Norfolk, went to Colonial Williamsburg, kind of worked our way back up through Maryland. What would you say is the coolest part of living in Virginia? Uh, Virginia, oh, the four seasons, it's green. I mean, if you were there, the green, the elevation, and you got the ocean down in Virginia Beach, you, you kind of really get it. Virginia has it all. You know, you got incredible mountains in central Virginia. You got the western part that goes, you know, more towards North Carolina. And then you got the busy part, like the D.C. area, northern Virginia. So for one state, it really does give you a, a, a view of the entire, you know, America so I think it, it's a pretty amazing place. Example, I went to the gym, you know, this was years ago and The Rock was there and he's really as big and as sharp as you think he is in person. And then John Grisham lives here. And, you know, people that can live anywhere in the world tend to have a house somewhere around here. Cool. Workout morning or evening? Oh, morning. An entrepreneurial idea that you almost pursued? Entrepreneurial idea that I almost pursued. Oh, so many it would be embarrassing. Literally, I would give you give you an example, just a total example. Like I hired two men in a truck, which is a franchise, like a month ago, just to do a short two three hour move, yeah. and they showed up with three guys. This is just how an entrepreneur is a total addict. I am a total addict. So in a good way here on this one, though. So they walk in, they're like, and it was three of them. And I said, I, I, I could start a business right now that would blow you guys away. And he was like, what would it be? I said, I would, my business would be three dudes and a big truck. Like, I know that's like being funny, but it was two men in a truck. And, I, and these three guys come in. I go, well, you gave me an extra guy for free. It, like three dudes, you know, I picture more strong guys. These guys were kind of scrawny and a big truck. My point, that's just a little example, but that was actually in my brain for like two days. Like for two days, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm like, I'm, I'm drawing up logos and I'm like, what are you doing? Well, you I need another business. Have, yeah. I probably should reframe it. It's an entrepreneur idea that you uh, have yet to pursue, but will soon. I'm sure you'll have that in your repertoire. Exactly. I talked myself out of that within two days, just so you know, I talked myself you, out of it. Good for you. You've, you've already started to incorporate your, your, your weeding out process in other areas. No synergy there, guys. Zero <laughs> synergy, but it crossed my mind. A productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Don't start a day until it's been planned. Love it. Okay, so how can people connect with you, learn more about your work, and just benefit from all your wisdom? The 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast, you're going to get a lot, obviously, in a short amount of time. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. And then if you go to seancastorina.com, you'll get a free book. So you can't go wrong that seancastorina.com, seancastorina on Instagram, and the 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. Lovely. Okay, last one is leave us with a final life lesson, please. Final life lesson. I, we, we often hear that like financially you need to, you, you are the five people you hang around. I, I'm going to differ against that. I have five of the greatest friends in the world since I was 18 years old. I have no idea what any of them make for a living. They're the guys who went away with me when I needed to quit drugs. They would take a bullet for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm opposed. I mean, I, I, I love financial, you know, growing and all that, but I, I do not believe that's a predicate for friendship. Love it. Anyway, Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure for, for me to get to know you better, to talk and uh, much continued success. And I hope well, next time I, 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 you know, connect with you, you've got business 21, 22, 23 going and uh, let's, let's keep the connection. Let's keep the conversation going. Great. Thank you. You got it. Bye-bye now. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 